0: The internet has allowed communities to flourish around all sorts of hobbies and pastimes. Today we'll talk about one known as graving, where people take trips to cemeteries and graveyards for fun. There are a lot of reasons why we visit these places, and many of these reasons can involve helping others. It turns out, if you'll pardon the pun, that there's an underground network of volunteers all over the world who are helping us find information about our ancestors through gravestones. I talked about this hobby with one of the most active gravers in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I asked him what he finds gratifying about spending his time this way. I'm Josh Morgan, and this is The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. <laughs> I'm a data analyst and sociologist living in Baltimore, Maryland, and I'm on a mission to meet as many kind and helpful people as I can in my lifetime. So I publish this podcast on the 15th of every month so that I can introduce these people to you. You can check out the past episodes dating back to 2014. You can subscribe if you haven't already, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you wouldn't mind, tell a friend if you like this episode. I hope you enjoy the show. This month, I'd like to introduce you to Brandon Wofford of He lives in Daly City, right next door to San Francisco. You can usually catch him wandering around the Bay Area cemeteries and graveyards in his spare time. He's documented thousands of gravestones online since he was a young boy, some on his own, but many of them to fulfill online requests that he receives. The most popular website for gravers, as Brandon will mention, is findagrave.com, where users can ask for help with finding the grave sites of their loved ones. People researching their family histories often go there and request this information for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, to confirm where they came from, and two, to find the final resting places of their ancestors. It can be reassuring and even a relief when we can clear up these mysteries about our past, so Brandon and others like him are performing a unique service by fulfilling these requests. Brandon also emphasized that he sees paying respect to the dead as a form of spiritual fulfillment for himself, but I'll let him talk more about that. So here's my conversation with Brandon Wofford Asuncion, cemetery enthusiast from Daly City, California. I have been fascinated by this concept of graving for a while. I didn't know that there was a term for it. But the idea of there being this network of volunteers that go out and help people that are looking for particular gravestones around the country or even around the world, it's something I thought about getting into. But I've always felt weird about just wandering into a, a, a cemetery or a graveyard and just kind of poking around, especially if I'm just getting started. How did you get started in in this uh, type of hobby?
1: I guess I really got started as a lot of people do uh, through family history. So uh, I was very young. I was like six or seven years old. And um, my grandma happened to bring out this file of like someone had researched her family history. And uh, my grandparents on my mom's side were from Oklahoma. And we used to go there. Every summer, and I was just fascinated looking at these names and dates, you know, and asking about her grandparents and her aunts and uncles, and and then she said, "Well, you know, in the small rural community she grew up in, um, which isn't even on a map, there was a cemetery, and basically her entire family uh, was buried there. Basically, anyone that hadn't moved to California, and so the next summer we went there." her older brother took us out there and he was going to the cemetery and he used to help dig the graves. And he was saying all about each of these different people. This is this uncle, this is this aunt, this is this cousin, you know, and, and um, I was just fascinated by it in that history that she had. um, Some ladies from the um, LDS Mormon church had gone out in the sixties and transcribed every tombstone, that was there at the time and you know a lot of them since the 60s had uh vanished uh decayed or uh gotten broken and so i was just kind of really intrigued by that i was like i kind of i kind of want to do that you know it that helped me so much in my uh exploration of family history i want to help other people too
0: right so this is me assuming i guess maybe you started transcribing things with your family or you just you just learned the history of your family through going to the graveyard. Is is that what I'm understanding?
1: I mean, I guess it kind of went hand in hand. So I was, you know, doing research, and this is like uh, late '90s, early 2000s. So um, not a lot was online yet compared to now. And I'm, I started this when I was like seven or eight years old with my grandparents. I wanted to, you know, research their families, and so one of the most concrete ways to do that at the time was to go to the cemeteries to get the names and dates uh, because I didn't have access to all the records we do now. Uh, So we would go to where they knew different aunts and uncles or family members were buried and we would search for their graves so we could get whatever information we could from the, the gravestones. And in some cases, depending on where in the country, Uh, people lived, you know, a a gravestone might be the only physical proof almost that that person ever existed, especially when it comes to like babies that may have not been counted in other records. You know, if their gravestone still exists from, you know, the 1800s or the 1900s, that might be the only thing like documentation, if you will, uh, that they that they lived.
0: Yeah, I found that in my own research too, because um, I've done some research into my own family background and some of the records, like you said, the they only exist as gravestones. So if there's no transcription of that or online record of that, you know, if you're on a website like Ancestry or or one of those, it can be tough or even impossible to to find the existence of that person at all.
1: Right, and through um, looking at grave records, I've you know found my grandma, her, her grandparents, I found out that they had a child that nobody, you know, living still knew about that was buried at like a, you know, an obscure different cemetery than the rest of the family was. And just the reading through like the grave transcriptions on genealogy websites, I had found, uh, you know, such and such child, the daughter of, and then her grandparents names. And, you know, so it, it really can lead to these discoveries that you didn't know before.
0: Yeah. So you started out working on your own family's history. How did that transition into you working to help other people with their family histories?
1: Well, so I, um, I mean, I I think we had discussed previously the website find a grave Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's not the only one out there. I think there's like billion graves and lots of different websites, but I would say find a grave is probably now the biggest one and most, uh, Commonly known and used back when I got started now 20 years ago on uh, find a grave. It was a site devoted for people looking for famous graves, which which is a, another thing in its own. You know, people searching for celebrities. Yes, grave. right. People had started adding their own relatives. And at the time, uh, there really weren't many at all. So I started adding mine. And then there was a feature where people could request a volunteer to go to a certain cemetery and look for their relative. And so I knew how much that had helped me when I was doing my own research. So I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to the cemetery anyway, why don't I see who needs a volunteer request? And so that's really how it started is just, you know, taking these random pictures for other people.
0: Do you have a favorite story of that type of experience where you're out looking, maybe looking for one grave and then you stumble upon something else? Or even like I know the the story um, that was featured on Finding the Graves website, that was a good one as far as you getting involved in kind of like the family history of somebody else. And it seemed like it would have been really gratifying to be a part of it.
1: I have a, a ton of stories um, of those uh, similar to that. I think some of the most gratifying have been people contacting me from other countries, uh, looking who found, you know, maybe a long lost great grandfather that, uh, migrated to the U.S. and they, you know, died and they never knew what happened to them or, uh, searching for a long lost immigrant relative, um, that they didn't know where they were buried and things like that. But I had worked with, a, an organization in Stockton. So my, on my dad's side, my grandpa was, uh, early Filipino immigrant. And so I worked, um, with this organization doing some research on some of these other, uh, early Filipino immigrants in California. And I would go and try to find where they were buried. There was this one I was searching for that I just knew was buried at the Catholic cemetery in Stockton, California, uh, but then they had no record of this person. And so uh, I couldn't find any records of this person where he was buried. But I happened to go to another cemetery where my family is buried. A very large one, you know, several, you know, 50,000 graves, uh, not the kind that you just stumble upon someone. I happened to be walking on like a hot day across from one relative to another, and I stopped under a tree and I looked down and the name of the person I had been looking for was staring back at me.
0: (laughs) That's wild. Um,
1: (laughs) And just like a little small tombstone, like one of the ones that they would use to mark uh, graves that nobody else purchased a stone for. Um, and, and this is a huge cemetery. I wasn't looking for the person didn't know they would be there, but then the crazy thing was the same exact thing happened to me two more times after that. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: so it, it, it can get kind (laughs) of, kind of (laughs) wild.
0: Sounds like a a lot of opportunities to be surprised when you're walking through a graveyard or cemetery, I should say, when, with that many gravestones.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And, uh, especially in the older ones or where they're a little less kind of corporate like the you know the newer style big cemeteries some of the some of the gravestones can uh, offer interesting uh, stories on them themselves. I live now in Daly City near San Francisco and it's adjacent to a town called Colma which is San Francisco's necropolis where all the cemeteries of San Francisco were moved to in the early 19 or early last century but
0: yeah, I was going to ask you about Colma because I know you spent a lot of time there. Oh,
1: yeah, I'm just about um, maybe like a mile down the road from the first Colma Cemetery. So, um, But I was in one of the mausoleums doing some volunteer requests yesterday, and I looked at there was one. There was this old mausoleum wall inscription from like the 1920s, and it and it said, you know, the, the old English kind of biblical font. Uh, he believeth in a heaven, but not in a hell. I was like, that's an interesting thing to put on a mausoleum (laughs) description.
0: Yeah, I know. I've seen some people put cookie recipes or, you know, old photos, but yeah, that, that sounds like a, a a rather definite statement to make on your gravestone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. There's a lot, not just in like a historical sense, but in a, in a general interest sense as well, if somebody wanted to visit a local cemetery and look around, um, I have to say it's it's not as interesting at some of the, you know, newer uh business, you know, park like cemeteries where, you know, with all the flat tombstones, it's a lot more interesting where there's um older
0: cemeteries. I guess I didn't realize there was a difference. So it sounds like older cemeteries are visibly different than newer cemeteries. Is that right? I mean, gen- generally speaking.
1: Yeah. So, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, during the garden city movement, there would be a trend to make like park-like cemeteries with, uh, you know, manicured lawns and trees. And the epitome of that is like f- the forest lawn cemeteries in LA. If you've ever heard of those, where it's just like a huge, Memorial Park, where every stone is flat, flush with the ground. When you look out, it just looks like a big park. And it doesn't look like a graveyard, per Mm -hmm. se, with tall, standing tombstones. Uh, And so, you know, really in the 1900s, that became the norm for these business cemeteries because they're easier to mow, easier to upkeep um, than the standing, old-style gravestones. But certainly not across the board that you still have some of those especially when it comes to like local community cemeteries and older cemeteries. But the ones with the, the lawns and the flat gravestones for you know miles aren't as interesting to walk through.
0: <laughs> now you got me interested. I wonder if there's a book or something I could read about the history of, I don't know, the norms around cemeteries and burials in, in the U.S., It sounds like something that would be fascinating or or has a lot of evolution that I wouldn't have necessarily thought about because I haven't been exposed to it.
1: Definitely. And another feature, especially here in the U.S., that we can appreciate is different cultural burial practices, too. And, uh, you know, since we've had immigrants from all over the world, we get different types of cemetery and burial practices here. Uh, You can really find a, a huge variety especially in some of the like, um, old, like oh, I say old world style, like Italian cemeteries, you can find these like big, um, above ground tombs, um, that, you know, whole families will be in, uh, or we think about like down in Louisiana and like they have like the above ground graves for practical reasons because of the water table,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, here in, in California, i a lot of my, research and work that i've done has been with uh different asian american cemetery uh areas um, so you know there's a really fascinating history of um, chinese burial especially up in the west coast or newer ones too like uh vietnamese burials you know are also can be uh really interesting uh, and just just a lot of different cultures across the board uh will have different you know different styles of tombstones different styles of burials you could see it a lot more across the U.S.
0: Yeah, you mentioned getting involved with certain organizations in the Bay Area uh, that are related to Asian American family history, genealogy, cemeteries, that sort of thing. How do you find organizations like that to get involved with? So, say for example, if I was looking for a good reason to start graving in my area, I might look for a local organization. Is, mm-hmm. is that is that kind of an avenue you went down to? getting involved in your area
1: well (laughs) in my case it was a little different because um they found me (laughs) oh i see (laughs) yeah so um when i started i guess you could say graving in the um man manteca stockton area where i grew up there was a a a local Chinese cemetery nearby that didn't have any records on, on find a grave. And so I went out there, took a bunch of pictures. I was really interested by it. I I didn't have any Chinese background, but like a lot of the Asian American communities, especially on the West coast, their histories are very adjacent. Like the Chinese, Japanese and Filipino communities, they were faced the same issues, same uh, prejudices and lived in the same areas. Um, so I went out and took a few pictures and I happened to maybe a year later be contacted by somebody from that organization that ran that cemetery. And they said, Hey, we saw that you posted some pictures on Find a Grave. Um, do you think you could come out and take more and post more? (laughs) Because we're trying to document the cemetery. And so I did that and kind of helped document that cemetery. And when I moved here, um, I got contacted by some Chinese cemetery organizations here that had seen some of that work and asked me to help them document some of these cemeteries. So
0: is that all through find a grave or are there other avenues that people use to contact you?
1: A lot of people have found me on find a grave, but some of these projects weren't necessarily uh, for find a grave.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: So, um, There, this, there was a group here in the Bay Area that was working to, or I guess they're still working to transcribe a lot of old Chinese tombstones, uh, and to get the genealogical information. Some of these may be the only record of that person. And, and we know that a lot of these early immigrants from, um, China to the U.S., uh, didn't have much documentation. What documentation there was, whoever was doing it you know had no idea how to spell names or for some people it's nearly impossible to trace their ancestry because it's the documentation is just so sporadic
0: so wrong and i can imagine the names may have been anglicized one way or spelled another way translated a different way so that could further complicate the research process for a lot of people
1: right and so for a lot of these people on their gravestones, it'll say what village they came from in in China. And so that may be finding that gravestone may be the only way that they can find where specifically their ancestors came from. For uh, Chinese genealogy, they have really extensive record keeping in China, but not for the people who left and came here. So if they can, a lot of times, if they can find that tombstone of that immigrant ancestor and find the village that they came from, they can go back and link themselves to, you know, hundreds of years of genealogy. Wow. Where, where at that gravestone could be the only link to finding that, you know, opening up that whole, (laughs) that whole side of their genealogy.
0: And I can imagine you've been involved in a lot of cases like that where you had a request and you went out and and were able to provide the information that a family might have needed to to see what their roots were or who their ancestors were.
1: Definitely. And the the story you were talking about uh, earlier that was featured on the the find a grave um, newsletter, whatever it was. One of my favorite cemeteries here is this very small, very remote, uh, kind of like up on a hill by itself cemetery called the Chinese Christian Cemetery. And it was specifically for individuals in Chinatown, San Francisco that had converted through different, uh, mission efforts, um, to different forms of Christianity. And, and just for a little background, predominantly in, in those days, Someone from who had immigrated from China, they would be buried and then several years later exhumed and their bones sent back to China. Uh, so a lot of early graves um, don't exist because a lot of people were eventually sent back. However, a lot of people who became Christian um, kind of cut that link. So some of the oldest gravestones can be found in in this cemetery that go back further than some of the others. So I had photographed some of these early gravestones, and I was contacted um, by a lady who said they had been searching for her father's father's grave his entire life and her entire life. Her grandfather had died when her father was, um, I think, like three or four years old. And they had a picture from the 1920s of the gravestone, and it just showed it on a hill. And they knew it was on a hill somewhere near San Francisco. And she said that for years, she had relatives who would go to because there's several Chinese only cemeteries here and several that have Chinese sections. And she said she had relatives that searched and searched for decades and they were never able to find um, her grandfather's grave.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a very faint clue. <laughs>
1: right, right. And one day she happened to type his name in on Ancestry and it linked it to the find a grave record. So, and she was able to find his grave and find, you know, that village. But the crazy thing was that it turned out she lives on the same street as my grandparents in Manteca, two blocks down. I grew up two blocks from her and her dad was the pharmacist in the town I grew up in. And um my family knew them. Um, <laughs> so it was. And my my mom actually went to high school with her brother.
0: So <laughs> small world again, <laughs> we were talking about it being a small world earlier.
1: It, it definitely is.
0: How funny. If people wanted to get involved after they hear this conversation, if they think, oh, you know, I might like to take on some of these volunteer requests or become a volunteer myself. How would you recommend somebody get started?
1: It's kind of interesting because now it's pretty Pretty saturated, you know, so there's there's a lot of a lot of people in this and a lot of people doing volunteer requests specifically. I mean, one avenue is, you know, going on find a grave, signing up and um, looking at the profiles for different cemeteries and seeing where there's requests um, for graves. You got to keep in mind that a lot of older graves are not marked. You, you're not always going to find what you're looking for. But I would definitely recommend everybody. Taking a visit to their, the oldest cemetery near where they live, if they never have, um, just to start out and, and, and kind of just get a feel like, because for me, there's also like a spiritual level to it too, because you're not just looking at graves, you're, uh, remembering people who came before, uh, you know, and honoring, uh, their memory. I think there's, n- there's nothing, better you could do to honor somebody than to, you know, make sure that their final resting place is, is remembered and cared for. And that, that ultimately is, you know, what a lot of the graving records has been, you know, for is to uh, make sure that people's resting places are preserved, especially in these older cemeteries. It's so easy for uh, a gravestone to get destroyed or weathered or, you know, a lot of graves started out as just with wooden markers or handmade or, you know, handmade uh, clay markers. And those do not stand up to the elements. So I would all- definitely recommend uh, everyone, you know, getting involved with their uh, local older cemeteries, if there are one, or even just checking it out and seeing who are the people living in my area. And, you know, 100 years ago,
0: 200 years ago. Are there any precautions that people should be aware of?
1: I mean, I guess that would be dependent on the area that you're in, but definitely there are some, some business cemeteries that don't allow photography or have like loitering policies and people walking around. Uh, Usually that would be posted. Um, So that's definitely something to check out first. Oh, I
0: would see. Yeah. I I guess I was wondering if you've ever encountered anything like that or if if it's posted, then it's it's more easy to, to see that those kinds of things are in place.
1: Right. I mean, I've been told before, no pictures allowed here. <laughs> so.
0: Okay. So, like I said, that's something to be aware of.
1: Right, right. Or if you're photographing a lot of... I always try to be careful, you know, photographing when people are around. Because, you know, for some people, it's a, you know, it's a, you know, they're visiting their deceased relative. And it's a, a negative experience. And seeing somebody photograph graves near there you know presents all sorts of questions mm-hmm. negative
0: questions <laughs> yeah right i understand that where can people follow you online if they wanted to
1: i have a cemetery photography instagram the wandering graver okay i think it is now people can contact me ask questions whatever if they have any additional okay things they'd like to know and, and, and for the record i i don't claim to be any type of expert in this category it's always just been something out of pure curiosity and personal interest and a lot of reading uh, on my own so everything is just purely from my own you know (laughs) perspective no no claims to being an expert in any of this
0: of course not okay (laughs) thank you for saying that Yeah. Well, I will let you go. I appreciate your time, and I'll be in touch.
1: Thank you so much. I I really enjoyed this. Thank you for uh, letting me be a part.
0: This is The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.